We are going to get nerdy on the pubcast today. Chad Whitman of Edge Rank Checker is going to be here today. And of course, we're going to talk a lot about Edge Rank, whether it's an official term, and we're going to dig into the nitty gritty of what it means. A lot of important info in there, some stuff I had not heard before. Stay tuned for that. Also, we're going to dig into reach, but we're also going to talk about a natural drop in reach and why maybe Facebook isn't at fault for why so many big pages in particular see a drop in reach over time. So stay tuned. So much good information coming your way. Today's sponsor is Tabsite.com. Use Tabsite to boost fan engagement with contests and deal apps for your fan page. Now, there's a special deal this week. Okay, so just for listening to this show, use promo code podcast for any plan for a single Facebook page on Tabsite and get 33% off the cost for the monthly or yearly plan for the first year. So that's tabsite.com slash podcast. Make sure you use promo code podcast. All right, so pass me a bottle. Let's do it. Hey everybody, this is John from JohnLumer.com and John Loomer Digital on Facebook. Here with yet another edition of the Social Media Pubcast, where each week I invite a new friend to the virtual bar and we get drunk on social media. Today I'm very happy to welcome Chad Whitman. What's going on, my friend? What you drinking? I'm drinking an Irish coffee. An Irish coffee? Very sophisticated. I like it. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, classing it up with Bud Light today. Oh, classic, classic. Cheers. For those who don't know you, uh, I, I love talking to people like Chad because uh, you're, you're also another big stats nerd. And uh, so you're from Edge Rank Checker, Post Acumen. Let us know what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, basically always studying Facebook, what what brands are doing on Facebook, how the metrics are coming out and trying to basically really drive into how the newsfeed works, uh, what makes it tick, what brands are doing to succeed and also what's causing failures and trying to understand that whole ecosystem. That's something obviously that Facebook doesn't really address. And so we spend a lot of our time analyzing it, trying to understand it, monitor strategies that are working, strategies that don't, take a look at industry baseline, things like that, and just try to understand that whole newsfeed that in my opinion, is kind of the new SEO, is that newsfeed optimization. Yeah, it's one of those tools that really necessary because, I mean, as it is, there's so much misinformation about what edge rank is uh, and, you know, what people see and why and, and this and that. And uh, Facebook doesn't do a real good job of communicating it, so it's helpful to have others like you guys out there. Cheers. You know then uh, what edge rank is, and first of all, is that an official term or not? <laughs> yeah, there was. It, it's funny because I, I we every once in a while get a, hit with a couple tweets, and they'll be like, "So and so, you know, said this." And we actually had this guy. He was like roaming around Australia. He's like Facebook small marketing guy. I don't know exactly what his title is, but some sort of business relationship role for Facebook in like New Zealand, and he went to some you know, a little get together and he had said that Ed Drink is is doesn't exist or whatever, like in the sense that it 
you know, he's like, Ed Drink isn't a thing and blah, blah, blah. And so I got like a million tweets about it. And people were like, yeah, he said Facebook's never said the word Ed Drink. It's not a thing, blah, 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 blah. And there's all these like direct quotes from this guy. Right. And so I kind of got in this Twitter thing. I was like, I mean, it, this terminology didn't just come out of nowhere. I mean, it, it came from F8 in 2010. And they were like, well, this guy said it didn't happen at F8. So long story short, I, I found the like the actual clip from the engineers at F8 2010. He's like, we've invented an algorithm called Edrink that determines the news feed. And then it was like, okay, there's literally a Facebook engineer who worked on the project announcing what they were calling it. And it's just, I think that it's, it's kind of amazing to me that Facebook actually has a representative that's, that actually said that. And right. so I looked into his credentials and, and I mean, I think he was like selling, you know, travel, tra- like a travel agent, uh, six months prior to, <laughs> to doing this. And it's like, I've been studying Edrink for coming on like two and a half, three years at this point. <laughs> and it's like, dude, it's definitely, it's definitely a thing. It's a term, whether or not Facebook officially, you know, you know recognizes it now as, as, as their terminology, um, seems to be kind of up in the air. And I think that's due to the fact the newsfeed algorithm, which they tend to call it now publicly, right. is more than just Edrink. It's Edrink and GraphRank and stuff that they're always adding into it. But the reality is for most brands that are dealing with the newsfeed, if you have a page, you're going to be dealing with Edrink. If you have an app, you're going to be dealing with GraphRank. If you're a person, maybe something else. But for businesses on Facebook, Edrink's very real, and it's an algorithm that is determining what's being displayed and not displayed. Right. No, thanks for clearing that up. Because, yeah, they definitely have backed off using the term because I I haven't heard them or read them using that term. And uh, they may have coined it. Sounds like they coined it a couple years ago. But uh, it really doesn't matter. Right. The the, the algorithm exists, whatever it's called. Who cares? Right. And that's how I mean, you know. To me, we could call it the potato algorithm. Mm. You know, I'll have potatochecker.com dot com, and I like and I'll help I like help <laughs> understand it. I mean, so it, and I think I think people really like the term, and I think the reason the term is stuck within our industry is because I think people really relate well to it with the PageRank algorithm. Yeah. And I think we like, oh, of course, like the next phase of that is EdRank, which is Facebook's version of PageRank. So I I think it just kind of fits neatly in in our brains as marketers and brands and. And it's just stuck around and, and you know, I don't know. <laughs> well, that would kind of screw up your branding if they change it to potato potato rank or whatever, though. Uh, I mean, I think we would knock potatochecker.com out of the park, honestly. I think we'd have a cute little potato. And uh, I, I'm, I'm not I'm not too worried about the name as much as our software that's analyzing it. But it would hurt that specific product's branding a bit, yeah. Cheers. So help us understand, Edrink. Yeah, I mean, it's... You know, we get there's a lot of discussion, a lot of confusion about it, obviously, and, and I think that that's what's created our you know place in the market to help put some light on it. But I mean, really, it's it's a very dynamic algorithm that is it's per user, per object, per node within the or edge within the system, and and so it's it's really difficult to measure. And so a lot of times people will say, well, it because it's so dynamic and unique, it, it it can become more and more difficult to analyze it. But what's very interesting is when you start kind of analyzing it on the macro perspective and you're looking at the aggregate effect of things, you start to be able to pull out really interesting things. Like you might be able to figure out in general how much more effective a comment is than a like or how mm-hmm. much more effective a share is than a like. And, you know, we typically, we study, like we saw that comments typically drove about four times the amount of uh, clicks 
than alike. And hmm. so you start, you start, you're starting to able to tease out some of those things by looking at this data over, you know, tens of thousands of Facebook pages, and we've helped over 500,000 Facebook pages. So we have a lot of data from a lot of different time periods, from a lot of different industries, to be able to start diving in there and saying, okay, so here's the relationship on average between these fans and um, in this particular brand. And so when it, you start diving into it, it really boils down to affinity and looking at the relationship between these users. And users build affinity by doing repeated engagement. So when we sit back and actually analyze this stuff, it kind of comes it becomes simple again in the sense that how often are your fans engaging with you? If they're doing it more frequently, they're going to have a higher level of affinity with you. And if they're doing it less frequently, they're going to have less affinity with you. And that's kind of the basis of going in and trying to understand all the balance between you know, this affinity relationship and then what those interactions are and then what kind of results are happening. Right. But you still understand this pretty generally. I mean, you would know it better than most people, right? But you don't know the actual algorithm. Right. Well, the actual the actual algorithm that they announce is affinity times weight times time decay, and that's the sum of those objects per edge. And so, when you look at that actual algorithm, you know that's about as much as Facebook's publicly yeah. disclosed on, on how the algorithm works. Yeah. Aside from that, we know things like we know that they added negative feedback mm -hmm. into the weight as a negative object by studying it and looking at when an object receives those negative feedback. So we've been able to pick up different areas. And, and again, I, I love to look back at the analogy of the page rank thing. You know, Google came out, at least in the early days, and gave out just kind of a general basic idea. And then all these other companies and uh, stats guys went through, and they would just slowly, slowly start picking away at certain little things that they'd figure out. And eventually, Google made the decision to be a little bit more forthcoming with their algorithm to help brands understand it. But I think we're in a same, similar spot. So we're, we're chipping away, so we probably have a better understanding than most. Um, but you know, at the same time, we we're, we're also have our hands tied from what Facebook's just uh, you know, revealed and whatnot. So you know, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff, but there's a lot to be learned as well. You said something I found interesting. You said that uh, a comment drives four times as many clicks as it'll like. Now, is that because a comment, Facebook's more likely to display a comment virally to a friend than a like? Or is it just that the, the action of a comment is more enticing than a like to their friends? The, the way that we understand it and the way that most other analytics people have, have kind of done similar results um, is that basically the weight of a comment's heavier. And so when you have a comment, and, and when I talk about it, I drink, I normally say the more time is involved in a particular interaction, normally there's more weight. And so Facebook's looking at a like versus a click versus a comment versus a share versus an, even a negative feedback um, object. And it's saying a comment is probably more valuable than a person liking it. So we're going to give that interaction a little bit more weight so that the likelihood of the net next person who may have had just enough affinity to be right on that border, that weight of that comment might, for them, push the edge rank just enough that they're going to see it in the news feed. So that's, if that explains it properly, it's, it's the actual weight of the comment that's giving a little bit more visibility, which is then going to drive a little bit more of those clicks. All right. So as we look at the various actions a user can take with a piece of content, and what's what's your impression then of the order of weight? I mean, I, I'd assume share, comment, like, but then you also have other things like um, a, a photo click, you know, photo, to vote right. photo view, video play, right. just any other random click, right? I, I assume they track right. all that as well. So 
Yeah, yeah. So they they bring in all the uh, all the different click types, which is actually really interesting. We actually we got a support email just like yesterday from from from, from a big brand, and they were confused. They said, you know, hey, your system's reporting X amount of link clicks, um, but we didn't post a link. And so you know, we thought, okay, there's a little hiccup in our system. Let's go dive through the software. Went through, looked at everything, and um, we we pull up the Facebook direct source from Facebook. And Facebook passed us. It was a pure status update. They had no link, no photo. It was just like, you know, think of it as like a happy Wednesday type post, you know, just pure text. And Facebook's insights reported that it had 31 link clicks. There were no links. It had eight photo views. <laughs> and we're like, what the hell is going on here? I mean, because, you know, like how how is Facebook reporting this? And so I get my only point of bringing it up is it's a amazing sometimes how Facebook can even be sloppy sometimes in reporting their their analytics that we then have to study and so when we look at clicks we normally we normally take a look and we say okay we're, we're going to only look at clicks as they relate to links to make sure that we're not collecting those metrics in from these random posts that may have like a fringe um, element to them mm-hmm. but the way that I would kind of do it in kind of in and what we've seen is I would weight it in the sense of I would say a click. So like if you clicked on a link, if it has a link, then a click. They also track clicks within the post, although they haven't been super elaborate on exactly what the list of those things are. But a click, a like, a comment, and a share is typically how um, I look at it. And obviously on the negative side of that spectrum would be negative feedback. Um, so and that's also you know hiding, hiding all, uh, liking the page, reporting a spam. And I guess while we're there, do you have a sense for what would be the uh, I guess lowest weighted. I don't know how you would you would uh, say that for for negative feedback. The worst negative feedback to I guess the less the lightest weight. Right. Um. The way that we categorize it, Facebook recognizes four in their documentation. Um. And the way that we do it is hide, hide all, unlike, report as spam. Um. And basically the reason that that we've kind of seen it that way is that when you look at unlikes and hide alls those are kind of like kill points you know mm-hmm. i mean you're, you're never going to see that object again so they're inherently more devastating than a, than a hide but what's interesting about reporting spam is that we know through um, other publishing tools that they have their own spam thresholds that they try to maintain like if an object like if you're using a third-party api and you're publishing to the news feed um, and there you're getting a high level of reporting spams on that particular third-party API, that system will be shut down. And so there's thresholds built into the system for apps that are publishing that try to reduce the spam load. And so we also look at spam as being a very bad one because it could actually hurt the actual page's value as a spam agent, if that makes Mm. any sense. I got a little elaborate there, but... (laughs) That makes sense. You know, I think this is a case where... Uh, Facebook's weight um, could be different than you know how important it is to a page admin. Like, I, absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely, the uh, report of spam should be terrible, and it probably should be worse. The 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 the, the worst possible scenario. Yeah, and that's that's our well, how we see it. Yeah, and it, it, for for me though, the next worst possible scenario is to hide all as opposed yes. to unlike. Right, and, and uh, you probably agree because that kill would kill your edge rank. I would assume if you've got a bunch of people hiding all. Who are your fans? They're never going to see your stuff. 
Um, so that should send cues as well, and then it's going to kill your percentage. It, if not your edge rank, I don't know. It'll at least kill your percentage, so you're always wondering, why can't right. I reach anybody? It's because you right. got all these dead accounts out there. Uh, so yeah, I'd rather that, just have them unlike my page. Right, and and that's and the thing that, that Facebook, and then you talk about kind of how a, a page admin would look at that differently than Facebook. Facebook looks at that as being a little bit less devastating because they're like, hey, you can always re-advertise them, right? They can always <laughs> sign up for notifications or they can go do this because you, you still have that connection somehow through the ad API that allows you to reach them through an ad platform. And so for that, I think from Facebook's perspective, they're like, well, I mean, hiding all is not the worst because you can still advertise them to them, right? So hmm. you know, I, th I think that that's how Facebook perceives it is there's still that connection somewhere, somehow that you can reach them. Now that's an interesting point. So if they've hidden all of my organic content, they can still see my, my ad in the newsfeed? Correct. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think I ever knew that. Very interesting. Okay. Cheers. Shifting gears a little bit. Yep. Um, what, one of my favorite topics, because I hate it so much, is Facebook reach. Uh, yes. I just I think it's such a worthless uh, stat now, and maybe I overdo it a little bit, saying how how much I hate it, just because everyone seems to love it so much, it drives me crazy. <laughs> um, but you you're you guys were some of the first to to document this um, and kind of sh show some of your data um, over time, you know. So that that bug happened in late August, I think, and that's when I started seeing it, seeing it at least. Mm -hmm. And then Facebook reported it, I think, in February. That, that they had the issue and that they fixed it. Um, can you kind of take us through that and then what you've seen from that point until now? Yeah, it's been interesting because we've been studying it. We've been studying just reach in general for, for a while. And in a while back, um, I mean, Facebook didn't even call it reach. I mean, we used to look at impressions and unique impressions, and they didn't have nearly as many as metrics as they provide with us um, now. But over the, the past few years of us studying it in general, we always – Almost every time that we inevitably study reach, it's almost always decreasing. And then we publish something or get asked by a tech crunch or something like that to provide some data. And, you know, it's kind of everyone's yelling that the sky is falling. And, and I think that I don't understand why people are surprised that reach is continually decreasing because I see reach kind of always decreasing. And I think this event that happened kind of in the fallish era time period uh, where we saw a drastic negative feedback uh, decrease, at least for the average page. And then Facebook actually pulled kind of a unusual move and actually addressed this. And they attributed it to the increase in weight of negative feedback, ultimately, if you read mm -hmm. through the lines of everything yeah, that they said. Um, that, you know, we saw a lot of pages. And I think when we did the study, we saw a lot of the, the average typical page had a decrease in reach, just in general. Um, and but yet Facebook came out and said that that they hadn't had a decrease in reach. And there's one of our competing companies out there that saw kind of the similar stats to what Facebook was reporting, but they didn't look at reach as it related to total reach per post, excluding paid. They looked at it per fan, and per fan reach kind of apparently. Um, we didn't study this particular. We looked at it as as it relates to the entire brand. I I thought it was very interesting. Just as a side note here. Mm -hmm. That when you go into insights and you look at insights, you know how they 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 clump reach and paid and total and viral all into that one big little it's that little graph like in the top part and it's like whoa right. like reach is like really high and then <laughs> and they just like clump all that reach in there and they're yeah. like oh look at your reach and then when they go and study it and they're defending their platform. 
they go and look at the most minuscule reach metric, reach per fan for only fans, and they're like, we'll see everything's cool on this metric. But yet, when you they go in there and they want to show you all these big numbers and this exciting thing, they show you total reach of everything, viral, paid, organic, per fan, doesn't matter who saw it. You know, We're going to show you that that was a person who saw it. So I really think that it's, you know, they were, you know, they were trying to take the best of both worlds instead of reporting it fairly as they do across the board. So when we study, we look, look, total reach is kind of how you present it. We're going to exclude paid just because that's going to throw off our data. Yeah. But we're going to look at just total reach. I don't care if it's a fan or not because that's what you're showing people and that's what they're seeing that decrease in their fan. When they look at the post and it shows the reach number being down, that's what they're seeing. And so it really was, reach continues to go down. And I think that's just because more and more brands are spending more and more time. They're being smarter and smarter. There's more and more people getting onto Facebook in terms of like having an iPhone and being able to publish photos, Instagram, Spotify. The news feed is just getting more and more crowded. So we're always going to see reach decreasing. The, the hope is that, and if people have faith in EdDrink, is that EdDrink will hopefully connect the objects you really hopefully are going to care about. And so it really, even if the reach is going down, hopefully the quality is going up. Now, that's... It's tough to say if that's exactly the case, but yeah, um, that's how we kind of saw it. And it, it really ended up being negative feedback was kind of the driving fa- force that drove a lot of people's uh, reach down. Sure. It, you know, it, the, the crowded nature of Facebook, um, the fact that it is continuing, continuing to grow, that certainly makes sense that that would be a source for a drop in and continued drop in reach. However, I think something that we don't really talk about much it's like if you look at well-established pages that have been around for a long time, mm-hmm. I think you have to look at what percentage of their fans are have been fans for six months plus, a year plus, right. two years plus, three years plus. Because the older I, – I read a study once that said the average lifespan of a Facebook fan in terms of whether they'll engage with you at all is 20, mm-hmm. 28 days. So, and, and I th- think that was uh, Buddy Media. Okay. But, but uh, I'd have to go back and look that up. This is the second time I've mentioned it without a source. Um, <laughs> but I, saw that I was on a panel at All Facebook in New York, and it was brought up. And, um, but, but regardless, even if that isn't a fact, you have to assume anyone who's been a fan longer is less likely to engage eventually for, for multiple reasons. I mean, Facebook's going to start stop showing them stuff if you're, if you're not engaging. Right. And they're just going to forget to unlike. Yeah, um, I definitely could see that being being a reality. Yeah, so like, I, I, and I love Mari Smith. One, one thing she posted a few months ago was comparing how her um, reach, I think it was a reach percentage, if I'm not mistaken, was uh, highest like two years ago. Mm-hmm. But that just makes sense to me. I mean, cause, because right. the, 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 everybody else was like freaking out like, yeah, that's that's terrible. Facebook is keeping all your fans from seeing stuff. But I think that's just kind of logical that it, that it would work that way. But on the other hand, if you are a completely new page and all the your fans are made up of a high percentage of new people, that those are the people who should be continuing to get really, really high reach. But those who have a larger base where their their newest fans are a lower percentage, I assume that their reach is lower. And which I think yeah. is the, the explanation for why, like you always hear that pages with 100,000 or more have really, really low reach. 
Yeah, they, and they really do. I mean, we've, you know, we've had, you know, data on some of the world's largest pages, and it's it's incredibly shocking how low yeah. some of these mega mega brands, and I'm talking about the ones, you know, 10 million plus um, fans, is how freaking low their reach percentages can be. Um, you know, in I mean, part of this, the I think part of the problem for them, aside from just you know this kind of fan aging concept, is um, is for like a company like a Coca-Cola or a Nike or you know like a, even like a Walmart, any of these just super mega brands, they have so many different fans mm-hmm. becoming a fan for so many different right. reasons. Uh, if you look at someone like for Nike, uh, they might be do it for women's tennis. They're like all about women's tennis, and that's all they care about. And so they don't care about uh, you know the latest Kobe Bryant shoe or something like that. They only care about the and so then every time that the, Nike doesn't do a women's tennis post from the main Nike account. They're not going to engage with that particular post, and they're just going to lose out on that person. And eventually, they're going to that process is going to splinter out across the entire segment, and they're going to have basically horrible reach with everyone, which is kind of crazy. So I actually really like Nike's strategy because they were like, you know what, screw it, we'll make small pages that d- add l- touch on each specific of these interests. You know, a Nike's ten, like a Nike tennis, Nike basketball, Nike football, and allow our fans to be fans of kind of these sub pages, so to speak. In order to make sure that they're getting the, the content that they truly are are looking for, but so I think that's a really great strategy that Nike kind of has implemented, and I think they're having great success with that. Yeah, you you make a good point. I mean, I, I like certain pages, you know, my favorite shows, my my favorite brands, whatever. Not because I'm looking to interact with them, just because right. I like them. But right. you know, no one's gonna like my page because he's just kind of a cool guy. I, I, I'd like to think that would happen, but it's not. Right. They're liking my page because they want certain information. Right. So those people are much, much more likely to interact with me than someone you know liking a, a big brand because they have just a, a, all kinds of reasons for liking it. Yeah, so, it's, yeah. it is. It's it, we we have this like little feature in Edge Checker. It's like negative feedback analyzer, and we're just studying what what's causing people to hide content in, in our system. And it was it was funny because. We kind of we have a kind of like a whole like a parent company that owns Edge Checker. It's called Applum, um, and that's just kind of this. We don't really. It's kind of like our brand, and we do kind of business blogging and stuff. It's just kind of the the concept of our business, and we do Edge Checker. But when I post anything about kind of any you know seminars or something that I do, or if I'm like speaking at a conference or something like that, and it's kind of like a recap on Edge Checker that normally gets a bunch of negative feedback. Like mm. it's. People are like, no, we just want studies from Edring Checker. We don't, or your new features. Like, we don't care what Chad's doing at all. Like, <laughs> like, all right, cool. Like that. Hey, you know, that's what you're looking for. But then the opposite happens on our Apple page. Uh, we don't have a ton of fans on our Apple page, but when we post something that's very like, hey, this is our business doing something cool. People are really excited and like encouraging us, and they don't really care about if the latest reach study is this or that. And so it's kind of interesting because it's we're basically the same entity but we have such a difference in you know people could care less about me on edring checker mm-hmm. and on on applin people could care less about edring checker stats they only care about you know cool stuff or how we build our software or, or my some of my business philosophies or something like that so it's 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 kind of it's cracks me up when i go through there and see my name because it, it's like a uh, like a word cloud so like yeah. it gets bigger like the more negative feedback and it's like chat women in big letters i'm like damn it <laughs> <laughs> cheers let's talk more about that chat because i do care about what you're doing i do <laughs> uh 
supposed acumen. I, I brought it up really briefly in introducing you, and um, I want to talk about that a little bit more because it sounds like you're doing some really cool stuff. But tell us about that. Yeah, so we're working on a project called Post Acumen. It's a it's a whole separate tool than Nedring Checker. Um, basically, it was kind of born out of a lot of our customers asking for a little bit deeper industry information, a little bit more competitive set information out of Edring Checker, and we didn't really feel that it fit well with our long-term goals to really address more competitive analysis within Edring Checker. And so we decided to spin out a whole new product called Post Acumen, which basically does this competitive analysis and allows us to really dig deep in whatever way, whatever direction we want to when it comes to this competitive analysis stuff. So basically what we're trying to do, and I, and, and we, we launched this probably, I think we did launch it in like November. So we're starting to I think hit you know, the six month point, but we haven't really pushed it or really promoted it much. It's been mostly for a lot of our super customers that have been really looking for it specifically. But what we're trying to do is take competitive analysis and I look at the marketplace and I see competitive analysis and most competitive analysis products, they go, Hey, here's company a versus company B versus company C you rank, you know, number two out of the three and like, here's their best, you know, posting day or something like right. that. And it's like kind of the what, and it's kind of industry reports of how many fans that their growth has been in this and that. And I think all of that stuff is trivial and I care less about it from yeah. our perspective. What we're trying to do is build something. And what we have built is something that's a company like a Ford could come into and say, okay, I want to know how I stack up against these particular brands, which, which they're already doing. And there's a million different options for that. Uh, you know, that's, that's nothing new within the industry, but I want Ford to be able to come in and say, I want to monitor Cadillac. I want to monitor GMC. I want to monitor all these big brands, Mercedes, you know, Audi. And I want to know what's succeeding for them, what's failing mm. for them, and learn insights from the automobile industry as a whole and look at the strategy side of that in aggregate as opposed to just stacking me up against A versus B versus C. I want to know the luxury lines of cars. What are they doing that's working? What are they not? What have they tried that's failed? And that whole philosophy of looking at kind of learning from kind of sca escaping the growing pains and applying that to the industry that you're going after, as opposed to just stacking yourself up against a million other companies. Very cool. So that's a, a paid product. Yes. Is that, is that targeted at big, big businesses or what, what's your price point on those? Um, so basically if you sign up for about, if you're monitoring about five pages, it's 15 bucks a page. So wow. most of our customers right now are agencies that are working with, you know, like fortune 500 type companies and trying to monitor. They kind of have that luxury of, Hey, let's, let's monitor this grouping or that grouping. Um, and I think that that's probably actually to be completely candid, a space that I would like to address is the fact that I think some of the lower uh, budget level social media managers haven't really been able to jump into post acumen to the depth that they like because if you want to really make groupings that are really awesome and you want a 20 here and 20 there you're looking at quite a substantial price point mm -hmm. um so i think I'm, we're actually going to be rolling out hopefully in the next like three to four months kind of like a lower level option that kind of gives you kind of some pre-built groupings and then enables you to kind of add in a couple customizations instead of fully custom so that you're able to kind of at least get the ball rolling and get some cool analysis. So where would a guy go to learn more about post acumen? Post um, That's and we have our, and we have a blog, all the how to's and stuff like that. But, um, it's, it's something that we're just, we're really trying to kind of push the envelope with, you know, Ed drink checker. A lot of companies are starting to kind of replicate what we originally did about two years ago. 
And we're really trying to kind of push the, the industry forward and kind of take that next step of, okay, you know what? Yeah, posting on Monday at 3 p.m. is awesome. But, you know, what does that really tell me? What does that push me in that further direction? So we're trying to kind of move the industry ahead of kind of where so many other people kind of their first thought process of, of doing Facebook analytics is, okay, let's these numbers. We want to we want to push that and that's what we're trying to do in post admin. So you're able to monitor in real time when users are online, right? Yeah. So we actually just rolled this out. We did a soft launch yesterday. Um, it's called Pulse, and it's we're really excited about it because I, I haven't seen anything like it in the industry. And basically, what we're doing, we're tapping in the Facebook API, and we're monitoring all U.S. Facebook activity mm -hmm. from both pages and people. And we've been doing this for about the past four or five months. So we have like really awesome historical data of when people are using Facebook on a Friday as opposed to a Sunday. How and then and then we check this every single minute, updated for all of our customers. And so what they're able to do is they're actually able to overlay their competitive set on top of this to see how, like I'm monitoring a really cool one, like the news, it's like all the tech news and stuff, mm -hmm. how the news and the engagement is happening as it relates to when people are on Facebook and then when new pages are posting into the newsfeed. So we're monitoring a thing called newsfeed noise, which is basically mm -hmm. pages creating content, which is creating noise. And then we're also looking at people um, in the newsfeed so that we know that hey, so there's a lot of people online and there's a lot of pages online. That's going to be just a high, busy activity. We're looking for those sweet spots of when a lot of people are online and a lot of pages aren't posting, which happens to be at about like in the late evening, like 6, 7, 8, 9 p.m. It's been crazy. We've mm -hmm. noticed almost every single night that pages stop posting around 5 p.m. And just in general across the United States, and people are still online. They're still using And So there's a huge opportunity to be publishing content in that time period that there's a lot of people using Facebook, they're on it, and most brands are ignoring it because their social media managers are going home, they're going to bed, whatever, they're being the, now the new users. And so it's been a really sweet spot that we've been doing some tests and finding that we've been getting a little additional nice bit of engagement and reach by doing in these periods that had low noise, high audience online. So you, and that, that's Eastern you're talking about? Eastern time zone? This is, so this is as it relates to the to the central time zone. Central. So any user who logs in, it's related to theirs. We're based in Chicago, so um, that that's a Chicago time zone. All right. No, no, that's all nice, but uh, you know, as we all know, uh, universal, you know, best time to post doesn't always apply, right? To to your page. Absolutely. So, how how much are you able to whittle that down a little bit, either by time zone or by state, country, page, if you can? Yeah, so Facebook doesn't make it easy. A lot of the areas that we wanted to do cool stuff, the API either forbid it or didn't allow the flexibility for us to enable it. But what we basically are doing right now, we're kind of looking at general audience and general noise. And then what we're doing with our pods, that's our grouping of pages, is that we have some cool tactics in terms of determining the right pods that battle you against. So one thing that I found um, when we ran Edrink Checkers analysis is we, 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 when we first started using the tool on our own, we thought, hey, we compete against company A versus company B versus company C. And so that's who we want to create our grouping with. Mm -hmm. But then when we started using um, some of our software to determine who are we actually competing against, we found that we compete against TED Talks. We mm. compete against the Facebook marketing page. We compete against the face, you know, like the Facebook page. We compete against um, just these different brands that have no relation to us in terms of industry as a, you know, as a traditional competitive set. But we're competing against these different 
entities that our fans just naturally like, like TED Talk is a great example. I would have never guessed that in a million years that we're up against TED. Mm -hmm. So what we've been able to do with that is we've been able to grab pages and create pods that represent that setting of, hey, here's these pages that are posting that represent some of kind of like across interests, like a TED page. And then let's monitor them on top of this general stuff. And so that's kind of how we're trying to start dive into that process of saying, hey, we want to ultimately one day be able to say, hey, we know your fans are literally online right now or not online. And oh, go awesome. that process. And that, you know, that's my dream with this. But by overlaying pages that are literally competing for that newsfeed resource, we're starting to get there a little bit. And, you know, it's a work in progress. We literally... You know, we rolled out a first iteration yesterday, and I'm, I'm curious to see what people think of it and, and how they use it. So we'll, we'll see how far we get down that, that rabbit hole. God, I can't even tell you how valuable that would be. I mean, as it is, I, you know, and I always preach to, to track your own results, to, to right. determine best time of day and all that kind of stuff. But even that, that's, that's still hard to do because there's so many factors determining Absolutely. why people are commenting and liking and sharing and why, why you reached them or not. That it's, you can't just say, well, that's because that's when they were online. You just right. you, you just got you got to dig, 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 dig to, to figure that out. But it's 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 dynamic too. And it, right. if yeah. you can tell me in real time that I've got forty percent of my fans on right now, right? Damn right, I'm boasting right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's you know that's the thing is you know we're doing this every minute so that the data is is fresh as, as fresh as it can be um, and we're doing that all day every day but the the kind of the interesting part is that you know there's you start diving into the the, the psychology of engagement and I find myself studying psychology now you know I, I kind of came into the studying statistics mm. and now I'm kind of find myself studying psychology now that I'm kind of in it and it's it's really because I want to start understanding you know what drives a click versus a like versus you know what's the social valid you know like a validation of, of sharing an object. And because we actually find that a lot of times people, you know, they'll share something that they want to identify with as opposed to necessarily, you know, like let's say that I was very hippie-esque, you know, I may share an object that kind of creates my social identity as being hippie-esque. That is, you got to start diving into that, that realm of psychology and what motivates people to do social interactions. You start getting into some really weird, crazy stuff and awesome stuff. But same token, you talk about, hey, my 40% of my fans are online right now. Like, I'm going to take that, that, that risk that I have the, the psychological component covered. And mm -hmm. I think that's what we're kind of seeing the industry is like knowing what time to post is, is one thing um, and knowing the psychology of what's driving engagement is another thing. But if you kind of bring them together and do kind of decent on both of them at the same time, you're going to have above average results. And so that's kind of we, we're trying to provide as many little input signals that smart people using our software can really leverage to improve their results. Awesome. Last call. Well, I know you're short on time. I've just asked the bartender for a bill. Uh, <laughs> you're you know, paying, huh? I'm paying, I'm paying. Uh, this was awesome. I, I had some other questions I was going to ask you, but man, that, that, that was great. There's, we could talk about stats all day. So I, I really appreciate you, Chad, uh, taking time to, to join me at the virtual bar today. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, I think the best spot's Twitter at Chad Whitman. Um, you know, I've, I'm posting. I answer tons of 
you know, Facebook insight questions. I help people out, whatnot. And, you know, Ed Drink Checker is kind of what, what created all that. So Ed Drink Checker and Chad Whitman, probably on Twitter, we're pretty active on, or I'm pretty active on Twitter, but ask away, ask any questions. I love to connect with people and uh, appreciate your time, John. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Chad. Man, that was fun. Thanks again to Chad Whitman of Edge Rank Checker for pulling up a stool at the virtual bar and enjoying a drink with me today on the social media podcast. Make sure you check out his stuff at edgerankchecker.com. Quick reminder, Tab Site is the sponsor today, so you can get that 33% off the cost of the monthly or yearly plan for the entire first year. If you go to tabsite.com slash podcast, use the promo code podcast, do it. Please do. All right, so if you've gotten this far, you love the show, thank you very much. Make sure that you rate, review, subscribe on iTunes or wherever it is you listen. Thank you. Until next time, do awesome things. I'm out.